0: This is Aliza Lemon-Baronovsky coming to you from Rockville, Maryland, Shavuot, um, And I'm coming to talk to you about Yechazkel Perekcha, Chapter 8, which was Thursday's 99 chapter. Um, and Yechazkel 8 begins a new section of chapters returning to the vision of the Merkava um, that we saw in the opening Prakim, but it's newly focusing on Yerushalayim itself and its sin. Whereas previously, we've been hearing about Yehezkel, who's based in Babel, and hearing about the exiled community in Babel. Um, of course, this is the reign of Yehoiachin, or the in the aftermath of the reign of Yehoiachin, there are still Jews living in Israel. Um, we open with a date, the sixth year, sixth month, and fifth day of the month, and the commentaries understand this to be the sixth year of Yehoiachin's exile since in Parak 1, verse 2 placed us in the fifth year since Yehoiachin's exile explicitly. There it was the fifth day of the fourth month. One of the themes we might return to here is the question of whether Yechezkel's symbolic actions were literally carried out or not. In chapter four, Yechezkel was commanded to lie on his side for 430 days. Um, And it's certainly hard to lie on your side for 430 days. Um, And uh, thinking of the prospect of being in just one place for 430 days is, is all of a sudden not so out of the ordinary and it's a bit of a daunting possibility. Um, but if we're going from the fifth year and the fourth month to the sixth year and the sixth month, it's hard to make the numbers work if he did in fact literally do so. So the Malbum tells us that it must have been a leap year um so that there would be enough days for him to have literally lain on his side for 430 days um and only a few days have elapsed therefore since he did this symbolic action in our chapter we get a different vision and it's really hard to imagine that vision being literal um Bain Haaret Bain Hashamaim Batavoti Rusha Lima Bimar Ot elokim El Petachshar Hapnimid Hafona Hafhoneh sorry sephona Asher Sam Moshav semel Hakina Hamekaneh. Um so Hashem stretches out the form of a hand and takes Yhazgel by Tit Roshi and this uh, ruach the spirit lifts him up between heaven and earth and brings him in visions of god to yerushalayim to the petach, the gate of the pnemit um gate and it's faces north and this is the place where we have the infuriating image that provokes fury we're going to come back to this pasuk. Um, but I wanted to point out that the word Marot came there, the the vision of God, suggests that it's a vision, not a literal trip, even according to commentaries like Malbim, who might be tempted to be a little bit literal. Yeheskel is dropped down in a vision in Jerusalem, and he's supposed to turn his eyes northward. And God tells him that he will be seeing the abominations, the Toavot, of the people who are in Jerusalem, and he's made to dig a hole in a wall. And he finds in there all manner of disgusting things, probably a vodasara, 70 men with fire pans offering incense to what seems to be vile deities. In verse 10, some of the words used are remes, creeping things, shekets, disgusting things, kukol yisrael, um, all the sort of loathsome, disgusting things. Um, and and they're all depicted there on the wall in this place where he is. Um, and it says, ish israel ben ish mik Before them stood seventy men, elders of the house of Israel, with um son of Shafan, standing in their midst, and everyone is holding a fire pen in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense smoke ascended. Um, and and this is supposed to help us see that they're taking this tool that is generally used in the service of Hashem, they're these zikhanim, they're these leaders, and this tool that is generally used in the service of Hashem has been defiled with this remes and the shekes, with this disgusting things. Um, the number 70 is obviously very significant. Uh, 70 men, elders of the House of Israel, were first seen in B'nai Israel at Matan Torah in in, um, Shemot Perk 24. And then again in B'midbar, Moshe tells God that the burden of the people is too much for him. And God says, choose 70 men. In each case, 70 elders represent shared leadership, this combined brain trust of wisdom and divine spirit, who are supposed to be sort of bringing the spirit of God to the people. And instead... These people are in secret doing disgusting things. Um, I, I also can't help but be reminded of this week's Parsha, where Nadav an and Avihu take Ishmach, that's how they each take their fire pen, and they put Ketoret the on it, and they put a foreign fire on it, and this thing that is supposed to be the symbol of the highest level of connection with God is perverted by being used in the wrong way and leads to their deaths. Um here, in our chapter, the people who are sh- supposed to be leading the Jews, representing them, are secretly worshipping idols. And they're saying, Ein Hashem, ro'el tanu azav Hashem etaaret. God does not see us. God has abandoned us. Um, this is the most sort of striking scene. There's two more. First, a very short mention of people worshipping or crying for Tammuz. Um, the commentary by Rabbi Fish on the Sun, Sino edition of Yicheskel. Uh, says that Tammuz was a religious cult from Babel 3,000 years ago. And he calls it, I'm quoting here, the youthful husband of Ishtar, god of vegetation and beneficent floods. Um, And even though it seems like a positive god with vegetation and floods, Tammuz was worshipped with mourning. There's also a story um, that uh, Rambam brings down of a prophet named Tammuz that leads to mourning. Um, But it's very clear that this Tammuz scene, is a scene uh, that is a type of worship that is not acceptable. Uh, And then there's a third scene with 25 men in the Beit HaMikdash worshiping, explicitly worshiping the sun god. The overall themes are clear. Idol worship is happening even in Beit HaShem, even with God's chosen leaders. The chapter closes with God's overall summary. This is Psukim uh, 17 and 18 by Yomer Eli. God said to me, Do you see, O mortal, is it not enough for the house of Judah to practice the toavot, the abominations that they have committed here? They need to fill the country with Hamas, violence or lawlessness, and provoke me still further and thrust a branch into their nostrils. Um, I too, in will, I in turn will act with fury. I will show no pity or compassion. Though they cry aloud to me, I will not listen to them. I want to draw attention to the phrase, they fill the land with violence or lawlessness. The word Hamas is known from the time before uh, the flood of Noah. It's also right at the end of Parak 7, just a few verses ago, where the connection to violence is even more explicit. In chapter 7, verse 23, it says, Asseh haratok ki haaretz mishpat damim v'ha'ir mas Forge the chain, the land is full of bloody crimes and the city is full of lawlessness. Having read all of Yeshaya and Yirmiya, we are used to the people being chastised for their lack of care to the poor, the widow, the orphan. Um, there's a lot less here in Yecheskel about that. But even though we're being focused more on Avodah Zarah, I want to point out that what we saw at the end of Malachim, when there is idol worship, there is also bloodshed, as we learn with Rabbi Joe and others in the chapters of Malachim covering King Menashe's rule. Early in our chapter, we're told that there is a semel, kin'ah, a symbol of jealousy at the entrance to the Beit HaMikdash. The text is drawing a line here. Idolatry exists because of jealousy. It's not enough for the people to rely on one God with one set of rules and guidelines. There's this desire to hedge one's bets with a sun god, a rain god, a god of vegetation, and that shows the lack of satisfaction with one's assigned law. There's a sense that the false gods are constantly being played against each other. What have you done for me lately? People, like gods, are only kept around as long as they are useful. There is no overriding morality or underlying decency that prevents murder. Instead, with idolatry comes hamas, lawlessness, might makes right. I'd like to close by pointing out that this chapter again uses the idea of north in a foreboding manner. Yechezkel is told to look to the north. The word safon is mentioned three times in Psukim Dalet and Hey, verses 4 and 5. This is not unique to Yechezkel. In Jeremiah 1.14, we are told, Hashem From the north will begin the badness. This is the chapter we read on the last day of Pesach, so I found myself noticing a really nice word play here. At the end of chapter seven, we were told, the chileluet tzfuni, uh, just before the, pre- the previous psuk I read for you from chapter seven. Um, they have profane, chilal, my hidden thing, tzfuni. Tzfun is, of course, my children's favorite part of the setter. Um, is there any but a surface link between the tzfun of our chapter and the tzfun of the previous? Perhaps it's good to be reminded that the fact of a tzfun, a hidden thing, is in and of itself innocuous. Privacy is something that we all cherish. Maybe some of us have a little more these days than we'd like. Some of us would prefer a little more privacy with Zooms bringing work into our homes. But it's important to know that what is being hidden determines how God feels about it. God does indeed have things that are tzahfun too. But when the hidden things are secret idol worship, things that are betrayals of our trust in God, that is when the destruction will come from tzahfun. Wishing everyone a wonderful day and a wonderful week.